You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This has been a lengthy recording process today, and not through... Uh, not just like straight through, but it's like we had to do a segment this morning and then I had to go do something, then you had to go do something, and then we were going to do a segment uh, at a different time and then you had to go do something, then I had to go do something. And now it's like six hours after recording and we're finally getting to the start of the show. <laughs> yeah. This it's magic. Is, it, it's this is always magic. funny how we do this thing and we're at the front. We're always supposed to be like, and hey, now we're in, like, welcome in. And it's like, well, we've been part of this for a while now. Uh, especially today. Yeah. Today yeah. is Wednesday, and for anybody who probably follows the minor leagues at least 75% as closely as we do, you know that Wednesday is a crazy day for day games, uh, especially yeah. this time of the year. Uh, getaway day. Getaway day. It's it's education day for a yeah. lot of these. School kid yeah. day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you ever listen to a Mill TV game during a game during the day on Wednesday, you'll hear SpongeBob a bunch. You'll hear screaming kids. I've- so, I feel like SpongeBob has been replaced by Baby Shark. That's not a bad thesis, and I am not fully willing to test it out, to be honest with you. Uh, you don't want to. I don't it, blame you. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so Wednesdays always get a little crazy, and then there was some late breaking news today um, about a suspension and lots of things going on. Um, but that, that kind of means, you know. We're fully into the season now. There's lots going on. This isn't just the off season when, uh, you know, like, oh, there, we have other things going on. Like, it's a lot of baseball happening here on a Wednesday, which is really cool. So uh, I'll take this over a cold, dark day in December anytime. That is the absolute truth. That is the thesis of the matter. And the only thing that uh, really – does matter about it oh, my brain is shut down because it's 405 in the afternoon here and i need a snack or a nap or something so with that <laughs> gonna be a good show this week's episode is the 205th of the show before the show podcast from milb.com my name is tyler ron he is sam dykstra and we will get started with three strikes talking about three topics in minor league baseball this week and uh strike one sam the uh, uh minor leagues now just about two weeks into the season we've already had some crazy games already some uh not so individual performances what's your favorite single game performance so far this year yeah this is just my favorite single game i think i was actually uh, i mentioned this last week on the show that i was in scranton over the weekend uh for you know to go see the scranton Wil- wilkes-barre rail riders host the buffalo bisons unfortunately vlad jr was out for the day, but Bo Bichette hit his first AAA home run, which is pretty neat to see. Lots of lots of fun stuff there in, in Music PA. Um, but when I showed up, I went with Kelsey Hennigan, our, our friend and coworker. Uh, they had the out-of-town scoreboard, and one of the lo- lovely things about minor league teams is sometimes they put their own leagues on the out-of-town scoreboard. And we looked at it, and there was this game between Rochester and Lehigh Valley that looked like a football score. Uh, and it was like yeah. the sixth inning and it ended 20 to 18. So it's 2019. The score was 20 to 18. There were 43 hits, 15 home runs. This wasn't a game in like Lancaster. This wasn't a game in, in you know, some of these other really Homer friendly ballparks. Uh, 
the wind at Frontier Field in Rochester, which, by the way, this was Rochester in April. Uh, it, Rochester, Syracuse, Erie, a lot of those places are kind of running jokes for just being absolutely freezing. Uh, West Michigan, a lot of teams in Midwest League, absolutely freezing in April. And it's not conducive to offense whatsoever. There was a 23-mile-an-hour wind blowing out toward left field. So, obviously, that helped things. Um, but it was just nuts getting back to read about this game. It, it lasted three hours, 55 minutes. Uh, it matched the, the venue, so Frontier Field. The single-game record for runs that was set in April 29, 2004, in a game that included Grady Sizemore and Justin Morneau, which is pretty wow. nuts. So it'll be interesting to look back on this uh, and, and see who, who's who in a couple of years. Uh, but 10 different guys went, went deep. Uh, only two of the 10 pitchers used in the game did not give up a home run. Uh, it, it, it's just crazy. Like I, I got off the phone here a couple minutes ago, actually, uh, with a prospect who, who hit three home runs today. And he said, we have 140 of these things. You know, as cool as this seems, like there are 140 games this year. I, I can't get locked up into this one performance yet. But what that kind of speaks to is that there are so many different teams doing 140 games that anything is possible. And to have a game like this already this season uh, is nuts to me. And, you know, we talk at the end of the year, we'll have the game of the year, the Milby. Uh, this is already a big contender. And if this is going to yeah. get beat at some point this year, that's amazing because that means there's going to be an even better game out there. And I can't wait to see it. Another nutso game. That's going to be the uh, the only thing that could take that one out of the out of the top spot. It's an early on uh, place in the season to claim the, the top spot in the running for game of the year. Um, mine, uh, single game performance wise, uh, Noel Cuevas of the Albuquerque Isotopes hit for the cycle last week, and I had a, a tweet in which I um, put out some of his quotes from that story. And uh, we talked about this. Um, you and I, I think, talked about this just texting. Uh, over the the last week or so, but I love when baseball players that you can just apply to life. Noel Cuevas goes out, goes five for five, hits for the cycle, hits two homers, and he said, like, you know, I want to I want to really appreciate this today because I know there are a lot of days when the at bats just don't go that well. And uh, he said last night was the perfect example. Last night it was cold here, it was windy. I got hit in the pitch, hit in the back with a pitch in my last at bat and thought all right well that's good because i'm not doing any good swinging the bat but you know on days like today when everything feels good you just try to go with it and appreciate it and live in the moment and i thought you know what that's like such a very philosophical and true thing about uh where we all are you know just from day to day in life and i thought that was really <laughs> cool but noel cuevas five hits he said he had had five hits before he had been like a, a certain hit away from the cycle before had never hit for the cycle in his life. Uh, so that was pretty cool. So that was my favorite single game performance of the season. Could be a uh, single game performance candidate for a, a Milby at the end of the year. But the, the single game, yeah, that one's going to be tough to beat. The uh, 9 million runs uh, in an international league game in the middle of April. But uh, not a normal thing. Uh, strike two this week, Sam. The uh, San Francisco Giants organization uh, got some unfortunate news uh, yesterday. We were recording this on Wednesday the 17th. Tuesday the 16th, um, Joey Bart, it was announced, uh, had fractured the second metacarpal in his left hand. He is probably out four to six weeks, according to big league manager Bruce Bochy. Uh, he was hit by a pitch in uh, a game for Class A Advanced San Jose on Monday, although oddly enough, it was ruled a foul ball. 
Um, but uh, <laughs> unfortunately, out for uh, a length of time now. And this is a bummer. Joey Bart, you know, a guy who obviously a whole bunch of people, not just Giants fans, are really, really excited about. And uh, now all of a sudden he's delayed by at least a month, maybe more. Yeah, and it was interesting to hear this news kind of broken by Bruce Bochy, um, which I think is telling. Yeah, it's a little strange. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, but it, it's telling because I think everybody in, in San Francisco knows that Joey Bart probably, he still could make the major leagues in 2019. He's that advanced as a catcher all around. Hitter, uh, Kelsey had him as her pick for the Bauman Home Run Award, and none of us were just like, oh, that's weird. Why would you pick a catcher? His his uh, homer power is that strong. I mean, he's gone deep twice in his first 10 games. He's got a 541 slugging percentage. Guy can really hit the ball, and he's a really gifted catcher. Uh, now, to have it be a hand injury like this is even more worrisome for somebody who is a catcher who has to worry about, you know, it was in his left hand. It's in his catching hand. Uh, they use that more than anybody else on the baseball field. Uh, so, you know, Bochi said it's going to be four to six weeks. He said that, quote, with some doubt, uh, which means it could be earlier. It could be later. We'll see. Uh, Bart's going to be wearing a cast, which is unfortunate. Um, but, you know, this was somebody we were all looking at and saying, like, oh, he's probably not even going to be in San Jose long. He'll be in Richmond before we know it. And if he's in Richmond, maybe he gets called up straight from Richmond to San Francisco. Maybe he sees AAA by the end of the year. Uh, maybe he sees the majors and to have four to six weeks is a long time to kind of be put on the shelf. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate for him and in his development, those aren't at bats. He's going to get back at least not now. Um, but you know, it's also upsetting for us because he was so much fun to watch on the field and follow night by night. Uh, you know, that's four to six weeks. We're getting robbed of, of Joey Bart, uh, you know, hashtag content, but also just the ability to see him at, at a full health um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see what he, what happens when he comes back. This is kind of going to be another Vlad Jr. situation in which the Giants aren't going to bring him back unless he's fully healthy, unless he's showing, you know, all the signs of this is not going to be an issue again. We're not going to bring you back only for you to, you know, make one catch and br- fracture uh, metacarpal once again. He's going to pass a lot of tests before he's allowed to go back to San Jose. Um, but... Yeah, it's unfortunate timing, no matter what time of the year. Uh, the fact that it was a foul ball, I'm glad you brought up that detail because it it sounded like one. You know what I mean? Like just the idea of bat on or ball on bone uh, sounding like that, it, it tells you how gruesome the injury really was. Um, but yeah, if Bruce Bochy is already talking about Joey Bart, everybody in that organization knows he's the future of the catching position there. And uh, hopefully he can come back sooner rather than later and we'll be talking again about him in terms of what he's doing on the field instead of off it and strike three this week moving right along uh tool shed for this week the toronto blue jays number 19 prospect patrick murphy uh had a crazy start career um with three different surgeries he's now got a 40-man roster spot this is a cool story this just went up today again we're recording on wednesday um but uh patrick murphy uh one of those guys who it's pretty easy to cheer for already at this stage of his career yeah no this one was really fascinating to follow i mean he kind of put got put on my radar uh last year when he was fsl pitcher of the year and you start digging into him a little bit more and it was always something i kind of cut off put off to the side and then i thought about it as the season starts, what's a story I'd like to tell? And his is definitely one of them. This is somebody who 
before he was eligible for the draft, underwent Tommy John surgery uh, the summer after his junior year. So he didn't pitch in his high school for senior year. He was able to throw some bullpens uh, as part of his natural rehab uh, and show off his stuff to scouts then, but nothing really in terms of, hey, I'm draft ready. Let me show you what I can do in front of live batting. Uh, the, the Blue Jays still took him in the third round back in 2013 uh, and signed him to a $500,000 signing bonus, basically based on what they saw out of him junior year in Arizona and you know maybe some of that bullpen side session stuff as well. Uh, doesn't pitch in 2013, makes three appearances in the GCL in 2014. Arm is again feeling off. There's some numbness in his hand, which seems weird. He's diagnosed with thoracic outlet syndrome, which now which is, is nothing even, to mess around with. Yeah, which is even scarier now than Tommy John. I feel like anytime you get any type of surgery, it's worrisome, obviously, no matter what you're doing, whether you're playing baseball or just existing in life. But uh, Tommy John, there's a pretty set, well set up road to come back from that now. Complications can happen, but at least there's a playbook. Thoracic outlet syndrome, it that doesn't really exist quite yet. I mean, you think of guys who have gone through that, Matt Harvey is not the pitcher now that he was before uh kyle zimmer who has made the major leagues this year and you know god bless him for that after a long road back but he was somebody who was a top 100 prospect who really has hit a wall since his diagnosis and trying to work his way back from that so you hear thoracic outlet and you're like that could be a real turnoff to a pitcher he gets diagnosed with that undergoes surgery something still feels wrong they end up removing a nerve uh from his arm to kind of take care of that as well. And he, uh, so it, it was just really interesting to hear about all the things he went through. And when I asked him about thoracic outlet, it was like, what was it like coming back from that? Cause I don't think it's been cracked yet. And he said, well, that wasn't really the most worrisome part. Cause it still wasn't finished, uh, which is just nuts. So he, he's knocked out for all of 2015, 2016 bu- built up slowly, 2017 built up slowly. And then last year in 2018, the Blue Jays say, okay, all the reins are off. No more worries. You go out there and be a starting pitcher. And he really took off. Like I said, he was FSL Pitcher of the Year. Ends up throwing 152 and two-thirds innings uh, between Dunedin and New Hampshire. Uh, that was in the top 30 for all of the minor leagues in terms of innings pitched. Not something you often hear with somebody who's gone through that many arm issues and elbow issues in the past. Uh, and what he said stood out to him about last year was – not only was he allowed to pitch that many innings, but he was able to get out there every fifth day, which is not something he had done before. And because he was getting out there every fifth day, he was actually able to hone his craft. So this is a guy who was throwing in the low to mid-90s with a good fastball. Uh, his curveball has always been his great greatest off-speed pitch. The changeup needed development. So because he was out there every fifth day, he was able to develop the changeup, and it started to really take off. He was more confident with it as the season wore on. Uh, FSL batters were really struggling with it uh, over the second half of last year. His strikeout rate jumped. His ERA plummeted, all the the stuff you like to see. He had a 3.33 ERA in the first half last year. That was down to 2 in the second half. Uh, His whip was 1.48. That was down to 0.94. It's just the type of improvement. You know, when we talk about development not being linear, this almost was for Patrick Murphy in 2018. Uh, so he was Rule 5 eligible, 
had to wait out almost until there was like minutes left on the clock to be protected from the Rule 5 draft last year. Eventually gets a call from the Jays. He's now on the 40-man. He started out the year at AA New Hampshire. Results aren't quite there yet, but he's still striking out guys at a good rate. He's got 15 and 15 innings. Uh, If you want somebody to watch and root for, uh, for their resiliency. Patrick Murphy just ticks all of those boxes, uh, which is really neat to see. And now he's only two steps away from the majors. When he does, a lot of people will be talking about his road and how it got there because it is not traditional and not recommended by any means. Really cool story. It's up on the site right now at MILB.com. That is this week's tool shed. And uh, that'll do it for three strikes. The Milwaukee Brewers organization is where we find this week's guest for the show before the show. Six-ranked prospect in that system is right-handed pitcher Zach Brown, who is a member of the AAA San Antonio Missions, who is hanging out on the road right now on a, a rainy getaway day. Zach, welcome to the show, man. What's going on? Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, like you said, it's just a little rainy here in Memphis. Uh, looking forward to uh, getting this game in and getting on the road and heading towards Nashville and continuing on the season. Well, tell us about the the start to your year. You've actually had two outings against Memphis so far this season, and in three total starts, 4.08 ERA, uh, a pretty good start to the AAA stay for you. Um, what has the uh, getting acclimated to that level your first few times through, what's it been like being a AAA for the first time? Yeah, it's been awesome. I mean, we got a great uh, clubhouse full of guys that have uh, – we got a good mix of veterans and uh, young guys. So um, – I'm able to just watch guys when I'm not pitching and, and see how they're attacking these hitters. And yeah, like you said, pitching against Memphis twice, it's, it's been kind of tough just because they know me, but I also know them. So uh, we're attacking, I'm attacking with my strengths and if it's their strengths too, uh, it is what it is. I just have to execute pitches. And uh, as far as the, the bump in, in the level, I would say just better executing pitches. That's, that's kind of what I've struggled with that second, third time around in the order so far against Memphis and, giving up quite a bit of singles and uh, just hoping to limit the damage every time that happens. Who do you think that ultimately benefits, Zach, when you face a team multiple times, especially in a row, you faced them on the 11th and then again on the 16th. That can really go either way. The hitters obviously have gotten a look at you, but you also know kind of the weaknesses of a lineup. Who do you think that benefits more when you see a team, especially consecutively like that? I think it benefits the pitcher a little more, honestly. Um, at least from my perspective, you you know how to, to pitch the guys and you can – there's more ways to pitch guys than I think that they can hit you. Like they know that your best, what's your best pitch is, but you could also have a better pitch that night. So um, it's just, I think as far as pitchers attacking the guys, there's multiple ways to attack guys. You can work them backwards and all that. And so, I mean, there's, I think it definitely benefits the guy on the mound and uh, the guy that holds the ball. And what do you feel like is something you learned about yourself? I know you said executing pitches, and that's one of those things that just seems easier said than done. Uh, what's something you're going to be trying to implement more as you get all these lessons from AAA and get all these lessons from uh, facing hitters multiple times at that level? I think if if I'm in the, the good leverage count, uh, just keep attacking the guy. I think I'm trying a little bit too hard right now to put the guy away instead of just trusting my stuff, what got me in that position against that hitter. So, uh, I think that's the big thing moving forward is just when I see a weakness, attack it even more. And But with the same stuff, you know, it doesn't have to be better.
Yeah, and uh, you mentioned this team is a lot of fun, and it's a good mix of veterans and and young guys. Uh, but specifically from a prospect standpoint, I mean, this team is loaded. It's one of the teams we've talked about as one of the most loaded going into the season between yourself, Keston Hira, Corey Ray, Mauricio Dubon, Ursig. Uh, what is the atmosphere like on this team, knowing, A, you're playing in an organization that's really competing at the major league level, and B, there's so many of you young guys in one place? Yeah, I think, like you said, a lot of young guys, a lot of energy, uh, and the talent level is just, it's just good to be around. You know, you're just around the, the best players in, in the organization and in the league. And you can just think about, uh, like, for me, being around guys that have time on the mound, and as far as being in the bigs like uh, Hauser and Kenny Williams, uh, like watching those guys pitch, uh, it's, it's nice to see how they So for me, as a younger guy on the staff, I think I'll benefit a lot from that. And I think the uh, the hitters do as well. Kesson, Corey, and Ersic, it's their first time in AAA as well. So I think as we get going in the season, our, our talent will show even more. And in terms of off-the-field stuff, uh, you know, what's something that stood out to you the most about AAA? You're playing it for San Antonio, which this is San Antonio's first trip as a, as a AAA city, as a AAA team. Um, but, you know, we talk so much about adjustments on the field. What about off-the-field? What's something you've noticed differently about playing in the PCL and, and AAA in general? Yeah, I mean, coming up, everyone tells you about how bad the travel is in the PCL. And uh, two weeks in, you can definitely see why it would be that way. Uh, <laughs> The, those flights are kind of I mean it's just a different a different beast uh we're not on the bus that long as much anymore and then but you're flying uh and you're going city to city so um it's a little different uh you got to get used to how your body acclimates to those flights and just moving around that next day uh my last outing was our first day in Memphis after a flight so it was just kind of try to figure out how my body is that day and then uh compete that's all that's all that matters when it comes down to it and one other change that everybody in triple a this year is going through is the composition of the ball uh triple a baseball now is using the ball that the major leaguers use uh right. so this is your first time going through that a lot of people baseball america had a story out today about how offense is increasing because of that but for you as a pitcher in terms of trying to grip it and trying to use it how has that been different what has that transition been like yeah, it was definitely uh, a tough transition in spring. Uh, I felt like it was just a tougher for me to get a hold of my breaking ball. Um, and I've just had to try to figure out the best way to, to use that consistently and get the spin consistent and attack the zone with that. But um, when I'm pitching well, the ball's on the ground. So the ball hasn't, as far as ball flight, it's kind of, it is what it is. Um, guys know it, but for me, if, as long as I'm keeping the ball on the ground, I'm doing just fine. Zach, let's go to, to last season and talk about uh, your breakout 2018 uh, pitcher of the year in the organization. Nine one with a 2.44 ERA and 22 appearances uh, for Double A Biloxi, and um, really just—I mean—you had already had a pretty good start to your career before that, but then to be able to do that and do it so consistently uh, across the board in Double A, um, what what do you think the keys were to that, and how satisfying was that for you? It's only your second full pro season, and to be able to take such a huge step forward like that. Yeah, I mean, it was very satisfying, but uh, I mean, that's that's gone, and I'm looking forward to this year as well. But uh, I think the big things for going out every five days and just feeling comfortable with what I had that day, no matter what it was, um, just being confident. If if one pitch wasn't working that I usually had, just be confident and keep throwing it just to show the hitters that, I mean, for me, it's been all 
uh, learning process as far as sequencing and, and good mistakes and all that stuff. So I think for the team last year, we were able to score runs early in the game, especially in my starts, which I was fortunate to have that. So it kind of uh, drive, it drove me to putting up those zeros right when we scored. I mean, Corey Ray, I don't even know how many leadoff home runs he had for me when I was starting. <laughs> and I was like, it's just nice to have that the first time I go out and after I come back in, if we're at home, just get a run on, on the board early. And that was, whenever we would do that, it would just give me that extra confidence to go out there and just pound the zone and, and let the defense work. How do you think, uh, you know, when you get, especially early on in a season, when that starts to form as a theme for you, that your offense will give you a little bit of run support, how does that affect your confidence going out, uh, you know, start after start? I would imagine if it's the flip side of that and you feel like, you know, I'm going to have to hold a, a team to, you know, no runs or one run or something, it might tighten you up a little bit. But knowing that your offense is probably going to go out there and give you some cushion, what does that do for you mentally? Definitely. It just, it's not a relaxing thing, but it's just like, all right, I don't have to be as perfect with every pitch. And I think that's what I struggle with whenever I get in a tight situation is I have to get that pitch exactly where I want it exactly this way. And uh, it's not always necessarily like that. Um, but I mean, you, at the end of the day, you just got to go out and, and perform master your craft and uh, whether it's five to zero, you're losing five to zero, you're winning. It's, but I mean, if you're up, it's, I, I want to say it's it's a different beast, but it's really not because you're going out there, relaxed, doing your thing. But like you said, if you're if you're if your team's up early in the game, it's uh it's awesome just to go out and attack the guys and and know that I mean you have a little bit of wiggle room. That's it's uh not a relaxing thing, but it is a a thing that you can just feel comfortable with. I, I, it's hard to explain. You know, it's just one of those things. You don't have to be perfect with every pitch, but you also have to execute pitches, pound the zone, not work beyond guys. It's just a, I, like I said, it's hard to explain. You know, you're out there and you're you're getting after it. So. All right, so we've talked a little bit about your mentality on the mound. Let's talk about your pitches. Uh, most people yep. say pretty consistently that your curveball is your best pitch. How has that pitch kind of developed, and how have you made that into a weapon? Uh, that pitch alone. Yeah, I think, like I mentioned earlier, with the new ball, it's, it, it was kind of just spinning out of my hand. So we put a lot of work in in the spring. Um, and then it, the other start, uh, the other night, it was kind of doing the same thing. So I need to get that more consistent. But I still think it's my best pitch. Um, and not too far behind it is a sinker. So um, I think just being able to to master throwing that curveball in every count, um, if I can keep working on that and just getting it over the plate in a in – a, pitcher spot I think that's when that pitch becomes a lot more um a lot more dangerous for me as a pitcher mm-hmm. instead of throwing fastballs and fastballs count and fastball counts right and when you said you know it's, it's spinning out of your hand right now and trying to get it control but when that pitch is on you know how do you know first off other than just hitters reactions and what do you feel like you're able to do with it to make it such a plus pitch yeah I think when it's on I, I'm able to throw it I, when I know it's on, I'm able to throw it to my arm side, so almost like a back door to a lefty or front door to a righty. Um, that's when I feel like my body's moving in the right direction and I'm getting my hand to where I need to. And and just and then also the, the pitch that ends right below the zone, glove side. Those are the two pitches for me that I think with the curveball, it triggers in my mind that I'm getting my body in the right position and, and doing what I want with that pitch. All right, so we talked about a little bit about last year 2018 i want to jump back even further back 
before you were a pro with your time at Kentucky, you start out coming out of oh, the Oh, we got to do that. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you know where this is going, unfortunately. You lived it. Yep. Uh, for those who don't know at home, uh, Zach was a uh, fifth-round pick in 2016 coming out of Kentucky. But in that final year, you had a 6.08 ERA. Uh, yeah. What what was it like going through that those struggles? And I read one story about you had a certain idea of money in mind, and literally the Brewers just hit it with like a four hundred thousand yeah. signing bonus. How much were you sweating through the draft that year? Um, I mean a little bit. I knew what it was coming in uh, to start that junior season. Uh, I knew if I could just replicate what I did my sophomore year and just keep growing as a pitcher, uh, it would be just fine. And then week in and week out. Uh, things were changing. My my mechanics were changing. Whether it was my idea or not is is a different story. But it, ultimately, I'm the one throwing the ball. So um, it it was just kind of a tough time for me to go out and and even if I was pitching well, somehow I ended up giving up runs in the end and ended up getting a loss. So it was just a tough year. Um, it's hard to stay positive, but I mean, being around those guys day in and day out was what kept, got me through that season. And then as far as draft day, I mean, it just kept dropping and dropping. And I, I don't think I was sweating as much. I was just like, maybe I can should just go back to school and get keep getting better one extra year isn't always a bad thing. Um, but, yeah, I had a number in mind going in that day, and I, it just happened. That was the very last pick where <laughs> I got picked that was above that slot number. So, I mean, I, I don't know what it was. I don't know. I never told anyone a set number. Uh, it just – um, God willing, it was that pick that was the last one above my number where I, I had told my, my parents, if it's below that, I'll consider going back to school. So, um, it was right there and I think I made the right decision and, uh, I've enjoyed it so far. Right. And, and here you are at triple a, uh, what did the Brewers tell you they liked about your game, even though the results weren't quite there, what did they hope to mold you into right from the off there, you know, starting at Helena and Wisconsin that first year in 2016? Yeah. You know, they, I got, I got to Montana and it was, I think I got drafted on a Friday. I was in Montana by Monday. It was one of those things where I just need to get on the mound again and get a change of scenery and they never really approached me about what they want from me, what they want to see out of me when I go to the to the mound. They're just pretty hands off, and I think that's their approach with new guys, especially with a a college guy that kind of struggled and but they drafted relatively high. Um, I think they just wanted to see what I had with that half season right there, and then uh, I had that surprising call up to Low A. I, there's a funny story. I had three outings in in rookie ball in in Montana. And I think I just got off the start. There's like three innings, five, five runs or something. I was like, ah, this, here it goes again. Like college is, is still happening. It's still the same season. Uh, and I get called in the office. Um, my, my bus mate actually thought I got sent down to Arizona. So it was like a, it was a funny story. Uh, just kind of like you go up and not really expect it. And I think on that flight to Wisconsin, it was just kind of a, this is what you're doing. This is what you got to do. Uh, it's kind of just reset everything, erase what happened that whole 2016 season and uh, figure out what you do best and learn yourself as a pitcher and just keep doing that and keep getting better. You know, it's just nothing beats game experience. And I think going out there and the Brewers are hands off, just let me think, think what I'm doing on my own and, and figuring it out. And then since then, it's just 
I don't know what it was that that half season after I got called up to Wisconsin, but I feel like it just took off from there. It's so yeah, amazing it, on the player development side how the the numbers might not be great, the performances you might not feel like you're doing great, but somebody somewhere is watching and sees, yeah, that's what we wanted. Let's get him to Wisconsin. When you know the ERA is with thirteen point five zero through those three outings, then you go up to Wisconsin, everything's great. Like that has always blown my mind about player development. That you could be down and think, yeah. like, oh man, everything's going wrong, but somebody with the Brewers saw like, no, nah, this kid's ready for full season ball. Right. It was one of those things where. Uh, they, they saw me those three times, and I think they were just like, okay, this guy's healthy, this guy's throwing the ball well, he's just the results aren't there, so let's push him up and see what he has. And I think that, that push-up for me was just seeing that they believed in me more than I believed in myself at that point. Uh, like after that, the brutal junior season and then three outings that weren't very good, um, it, was, it was hard to stay positive with my stuff. Um, I felt like it was there, but I didn't feel like – the results were there or like I was execute pitches as well. So that, that belief from the brewers and them sending me up, I mean, that, I think that just built my confidence, like a good foundation to just keep moving forward. Right. And what, what about that mentality? Do you still carry forward to today? Because, you know, pitching at that last year in Kentucky, you are pitching for a professional job. Essentially you're trying to show out for scouts that you are draft ready. Now you're at triple a, you're trying to show, the Brewers that you're major league ready. Uh, what do you take from that 2016 and still incorporate into your thinking today? Yeah, I think I, I've just grown up a little bit. Uh, not that I was immature as a junior in college, but I, I was still 21 years old and I was relatively new to pitching. And I, I, I mean, I didn't know exactly what professional baseball was like at that point. Um, after going through three years of it so far, I think the big thing is when I'm out there not to worry about all that stuff and even in between starts, not, not to get too involved and just worry about what you're doing to prepare your body for the next start. I think I was kind of looking into things a little too much um, and just worrying about things that I shouldn't worry about. And um, people have always told me control what you can control. And I think I'm finally realizing that that's, like something to live by uh anything outside of your control you shouldn't even worry about and your performance that's all you can control and i think that's what's driven me from that point on is just to do that and and whatever happens after that so it be Zach, at this stage, um, you're you know one step below the minor leagues or, or below the major leagues. You're 24 years old, and uh, and you're on a super talented team that's part of an organization that came within uh, one inning really of making the World Series last year. Right now, at this stage, you know you're only three starts into AAA, but showcasing um, what it'll take to get you to the major leagues and those guys around you as well. I, I remember talking to Keston Hura at camp this year um, in uh, in Maryvale, and it just seemed like everybody especially among your group that is at San Antonio, everybody's got this quiet sense of, of confidence of we know where we are, we know where this organization is, and we know what we need to do to get over that hump. What do you feel like is is in that uh, that realm for you to take that next step to the big leagues? Yeah, I think quiet confidence was a, a super good phrase right there. I think this group from top to bottom here in San Antonio is just quietly confident, and I think we have – smart we have smart people we know what we're we're faced with we know what kind of organization we're in we just know that we have to be ready for whatever may happen um and for me i think that next step is just to keep showing that i can go out in five days every five days and go deep into games i mean 
I mean, you saw with the Brewers last year, they're, they're very uh, innovative as far as how they use starters, and uh, we're all open to that. And I think this group of guys knows that, and they're always prepared to, to be ready when their name is called. Um, it's definitely a different feeling being in a A clubhouse with guys that have a decent amount of time in the big leagues because they can, for me, being a, a pretty young guy on the team, you, you can look to people that are – sitting right next to you to figure out how to how to be ready for that and that i think that can't be replaced i think that knowing especially in an organization with a lot of movement uh knowing that we have a lot of talented guys and and just being ready for that um to ask a guy that was up with them last year or whoever it may be uh just there's unlimited possibilities of what you can take out of those conversations all right, uh, Zach, we'll, we'll end on this one. Uh, I'm sure you've heard it a thousand times, but we just have to ask it because we have you on the show here. Usually you like to end on a, a fun one. How I know where sick, it's going. Yeah, how <laughs> sick of chicken fried are you? Honestly, I've been very surprised so far. And two of my three starts have been on the road. And usually when I'm warming up in my first inning, I hear chicken fried, and I haven't. So... Uh, it's been a little bit different of a year so far. It's been starts, <laughs> but um, I don't know. Like I, I'm not, I'm not too tired of it. But uh, I'm looking forward to some more jokes. Honestly, uh, chicken fried is a little repetitive, so maybe we can mix in some other songs. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine they've got to have a bigger, uh, you know, selection than just that one song. But knowing where you, you guys, you would think. But I mean, <laughs> I think. Uh, I think everyone, once they hear that, they know they draw that connection relatively quickly. So, uh, whether it's a heckler or someone in the in the booth playing the music, I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to get away from it. I hate right, that so, song so much, and I cannot imagine how I would feel about it if my name was actually Zach Brown. Zach Brown. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what is your well, at least walkout it's mine song? Mine and now. not yours. Um, my walkout, <laughs> my walkout song, "Small Town" by John Mellencamp. Uh, there you go. Okay. Actually, from he's actually from my hometown it's about my hometown so uh that's pretty kind of has a little bit of extra meaning yeah that is really cool that's a very good story for uh for a walk-up song that it's not just like oh you know i I liked it that's who knew i actually did not even realize that that was about a specific small town right yeah it definitely is and uh it's just a cool little connection that i can have when and uh i don't think a lot of people realize it until i tell them so um yeah, I mean, small town. Yep, that's me. That's that hometown. Very cool. There that we go. Very cool. Zach Brown is on Twitter. You can find him at zbrown underscore thirty three. And Zach, we can't thank you enough for uh, for all the time. Um, congrats on all success so far. Enjoy AAA, and uh, hopefully, we'll see you in the big leagues real soon. You got it, guys. Thanks for having me. It is Benjamin Hill road trip season, which on uh, the tweets has to be S-Z-N. That's what the the kids all do. Hello, Ben. Hello, Tyler, and hello, Sam. It is road trip season, S-Z-N. I I use that spelling now, and no matter where I'm uh, referring to it, I think it's it's taken over and become – you know, the new standard. Like, we look at old English in the 1600s, and there's always weird spellings. Things adapt. Season is now spelled. That's true. uh, S-Z-N. I mean, the Egyptians use hieroglyphics. We use emojis. Who's to say language isn't circular in some way? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're I taking have a meeting to talk to you about that. We keep editing your copy to take out season S-Z-N. You have to spell it right in, in actual tweets. You're your own. Copy, oh, you got to spell it correctly. I should read my copy after it gets published. You should just read to... your copy after, yeah. <laughs> I write all mine in emojis. Is that, does that get edited, too? 
Seems weird. Yeah, yeah. We, we advertise you as MILB.com's all emoji writer. The all emoji writer. It's not confusing at all for anybody. Um, well, the road trip schedule is uh, is coming out, and Ben's first trip has been revealed. Uh, ben will be headed to the Carolinas and Virginia coming up from May 1st through the 7th, and uh, you get to tick off one of the newest ballparks in minor league baseball on trip number one to Fayetteville. Yeah, and you know, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, if you uh, you know listen to it soon after it was dropped, which I'm sure many of you devoted fans do out there, um, this might be the reveal. The post might not even be up yet, but I am dropping uh, the trips uh, this week and next uh, on an individual basis. And uh, you know, last year we talked about it a lot. I finally hit the hashtag Ben Everywhere milestone, been to every affiliated park. Uh, so this year, looking to change it up a little bit while also going to the new parks to ensure that I continue to have hashtag Ben Everywhere. Uh, the three new ballparks are Fayetteville, Vegas, Las Vegas, and Amarillo, as we've mentioned many times on the podcast. So the first trip uh, is going to hit Fayetteville, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Um, you know, the Bowie's Creek Astros had previously been the franchise that is now the Fayetteville Woodpeckers. They were a stopgap entity that played the last two seasons. Uh, minor League Baseball hasn't been in Fayetteville since the Cape Fear Crocs, the immortal Cape Fear Crocs. Uh, and uh, go back and listen to our theme songs show to hear the uh, Cape Fear Crocs theme song. It's a classic. Uh, so there's been almost two decades of baseball without Fayetteville. It's back, brand new, and we've kind of been debating how to pronounce the name of the stadium. It's a corporate name. We're going to call it a uh, and I'll learn before I get out there, but Segra Stadium, Segra Stadium, S-E-G-R-A. Uh, that is the new home of the Woodpeckers. And uh, one of the things I'm doing differently this year is because I've you know, been everywhere, been everywhere, um, I'm moving away from the kind of more manic itineraries that, you know, in the past it was like, well, if I'm going to this region, I have to hit as many places as I can because I've never been there. I haven't been there in years or X, Y, or Z. But this year I'm slowing things down, spending a little more time in each location. Hopefully you can get a, a deeper and richer array of content material art as i like to call it um as you like to call as i like to call it no one else uh really uh you know goes along with my assertion that i'm an artist but may 1st 2nd 3rd an entire series and it's not a full series it's uh the back half of one series and the beginning of another what that's a thursday friday saturday may 1st 2nd 3rd and from there i'm going to lynchburg which i was in five years ago four years ago But, you know, there's a new front office there, kind of a new energy. They almost renamed the team, if you recall, and didn't. But uh, The Love Apples. Yeah, the Love Apples. What could have been the Love Apples. Uh, So they're still the Hillcats, but I'm interested to go back there. I'll be there May 4th for what is both uh, Star Wars Night and Aloha Weekend. So if you've ever liked... uh, Hawaiian themed Star Wars celebrations. Yeah. That's Please tell be the me that they have like Tommy Bahama themed stormtrooper uniform jerseys or something. I'm not sure what they have, but let's 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 hope so for sure. And uh, in the meantime, we'll try to come up with uh, puns that that uh, give uh, that uh, Hawaiian riffs on Star Wars characters. Uh, hey, Princess Leia. Uh, yeah, yeah <laughs> oh, that was good. That was I was good. I was picturing Chewbacca, and instead of that like sash he wears that seems to be to carry like bullets or something. Just that being a lay, but Princess Leia was sitting go. right there the whole time. Alohan Solo. <laughs> These are all ideas you should present to them. Not save it oh, for them, boy. not for us. So Lynchburg, May fourth and fifth, and then you know Richmond, the Flying Squirrels, the Diamond, May sixth and seventh. You know I apologize, uh, Richmond. Uh, that's a Monday and Tuesday in May. Probably not you know premier days on your schedule, but that's the way the road trip ball bounces and. Uh, that's just a team I enjoyed visiting in the past, and I'll enjoy it again. Uh, real creative front office, and even if it's a uh, kind of dead night, and it might not be. I'm not saying it will be. Um, 
we're gonna, we'll have some fun in Richmond May 6th and 7th. So I'll be gone for a week, you know, roughly in line with uh, previous trips, but only three places. And uh, check my Twitter feed, MILB.com, uh, the Ben's Biz Milb page, MILB.com, slash fan, slash Ben's Biz for all the road trip information, including how you could perhaps be a designated eater at one of those locations. Once again, May 1st, 2nd, 3rd in Fayetteville, May 4th and 5th in Lynchburg, May 6th and 7th uh, in Richmond, and uh, got three other trips at least, as well as some more local ones to announce in the very near future, and we'll talk about those next week. Yeah, so one thing I want to point out, just because I wrote it down and it's literally going to combust inside me if I don't get it out there, Uke Skywalker. (laughs) Uke Skywalker. Uke Skywalker is one thing I wanted to say. Second, uh, you mentioned that this is going to be different this year. You're going to be at places for multiple days. How is that going to change your day-to-day? Is it going to be more sitting around and, and taking in games, maybe from inning four through six, like actually getting to enjoy baseball instead of running around to kiosks and concourses and all that kind of stuff? Or is it just going to be more of the, the same for you just over – you know, two, three days. I think a little bit of both. Um, you know, a little bit more, you know, I'm still a one-man show uh, in most of these trips, I believe. Um, you know, so a little limited in what I can get, but I think more of an emphasis on video material. Um, you know, have time to spend a full day, you know, with more of that as an emphasis um, to have more video, you know, content and you know, show visuals in a new way that way. And, you know, one thing I've certainly found in other years is, you know, when I am at a place for two days, I don't know if I've been anywhere for three you can follow up on that second day like with an article that you wouldn't have had the opportunity to do in one day when you're waking up one place, going to a game, you know, falling asleep somewhere else, whatever the case may be. So I do think it will open up you know, new things to explore and to let you know, ideas develop a little bit, uh, maybe more in-depth articles or just a wider variety. Um, you know, potentially you can get some podcast stuff, um, share with you guys that you know, just might work well in that format. Um, it's a work in progress. This is kind of a transitional season for me. Um, again, having kind of hit that milestone last year and then kind of, you know, brainstorming ways to move forward here in 2019. Ben, the, uh, the rest of the road trip schedule, um, at this, when you're this early on in the year, do you kind of have like a skeletal itinerary for what you want to hit the rest of the season or do you sort of plan them just so people know kind of the way the whole process goes? Um, do you plan them? Like once you get done with this one in May, do you start looking at the next trip? How does it all work? No, that's how it started in the beginning when I had no real idea what I was doing and not sure exactly how much you know resources I had. I would do one trip and then get back and be like, uh, can I pull off another one? Uh, okay. Uh, but now, no, I do the whole uh, schedule, the entire season schedule before I leave. So I already have one that's uh, trips that are definitely the dates are set. Um, in June and July, and uh, a potential trip in August, still working out the details. It'll either be that or something else, and then uh, another more local trip in July. But I've got all those dates down, and uh, so pretty soon, you know, we'll be talking about those as well. I will not wait uh, until, you know, they are imminent. And, you know, spoiler alert, and I've said this before, you know, one of the trips is going to revolve around Amarillo, the Sod Poodles, new ballpark there, and another trip will revolve around Las Vegas. Uh, The Aviator is a new ballpark there. So you can catch Ben uh, coming up at uh, a couple of different parks in North Carolina and Virginia. You can check out the uh, the trip itinerary, May 1st through the 3rd in Fayetteville, 4th and 5th in Lynchburg, and the 6th and 7th in Richmond. And as uh, Ben noted, you can uh, try your hand at being a designated eater, perhaps, if you're going to be one of those games. Um, ben, what else is uh, coming on? You've got a book review of Almost Yankees, which is about the 1981 Columbus Clippers. There was uh, There is a Twitter feed, I know, 
that is also uh, following the 81 Columbus Clippers season as though it is happening in real time, which coincides with this almost Yankees book. This looks like a cool project. Yeah, I mean, the Twitter feed is done by the author of this book, um, right. J. David Herman. Um, you know, the University of Nebraska Press, for whatever reason, has a strong emphasis on baseball books, and I'm on their mailing list through who knows what started it. And As so an I alumnus, get, I'm very proud of that. There you go, yeah. yeah. I think it's a, the, the, the Tyler Mon imprint. I <laughs> they do a lot of it, though. Like, a lot of really small baseball books that would not have a home anywhere else do find a home there, which is really cool. Yeah, and they are good enough to send me the books, and a lot of them don't really have enough of a minor league tie-in for me to write about them, but I appreciate I'm on their list. I got this one in the mail, I can't remember exactly when, but um, probably in March, and I read it recently, and I thought, you know what, this one will make a good story. I used to do a lot more you know, book-related material. I had kind of a recurring Ben's bookshelf uh, column. Don't do it as much anymore, but anytime I can write about a book, uh, I do so. And I generally don't like to write a straight review. Um, I kind of feel like if I'm writing about a book, that shows... I like it and want to endorse it, and I prefer more to talk to the author and give a little more background on how it came about. So the author, J. David Herman, was 11 years old in 1981 uh, when he loved this Columbus Clippers team. Um, you know, this was uh, a AAA affiliate of the Yankees then. You know, George Steinbrenner was originally a Columbus guy, so it was important to have the AAA affiliate uh, in Columbus. It was kind of at the height of the Bronx Zoo era when, you know, George Steinbrenner was kind of a madman and he cared about winning everywhere, including Columbus. Um, you know, it was kind of tough for guys to break in with the Yankees because there was such an emphasis on stardom. But, you know, the flip side is you end up having really good Yankees AAA teams. And then another thing that happened in 1981 that makes that season very unique is, you know, there was a two-month strike uh, at the major league level. So there were a couple months when AAA baseball was the biggest game in town. And you had national announcers, the likes of Phil Rizzuto, coming to the games and broadcasting, you know, in the open air from Columbus just to provide some, you know, baseball broadcast at a time when there's no major league stuff. So it was a strange season in that regard. And um, so this author, you know, J. David Herman, he's now you know, in his late 40s, I suppose, um, you know, coming up on 50 years old. And I think this project was motivated of saying, hey, these are my childhood heroes. Some went on to, you know, some significant success, guys like, you know, Dave Rigetti, uh, people like that. But some, you know, were kind of his hero in Columbus and never broke through, guys like Marshall Brandt. And so he ended up reaching 28 of the 36 guys who played on that team and, you know, kind of provides a background of the season itself, but then goes into what has happened to the, those guys since, uh, intersperses his personal memories, uh, as well as just what was happening in America at the time in general. So it's kind of a sprawling um, look at the 1981 season through the lens of the Columbus Clippers. And, uh, you know... I, I think the format could annoy some people because it's a little sprawling and kind of jumps all over the place. But I really appreciated his approach uh, in terms of how much he incorporated. And it was truly a labor of love and thought it was a good work. And if you like baseball books, you're looking some, for some baseball, uh, something to read at this time of year. And you like minor league baseball specifically. Um, Almost Yankees is, uh, I think, a pretty pretty good book to check out uh, by J. David Herman. Check out the article on MILB.com, which is will be out by the time this podcast is out. I'm working at it, on it as we speak. I mean, not as I speak right now, but just you know, throughout this day itself. Um, yeah, so there you go. Yeah, what I love about this is it seems like, I mean, A, it's obviously something that sticks out uh, you know, because, like you said, the work stoppage and there was just so much going on there. Bring up that Twitter feed right now. Uh, he, he sprinkles in, like you said, like real-life events. With, at, on April 11, 1981, Pre President Reagan is back home from the hospital after his assassination attempt. April 12, Joe Lewis dies. Also April 12, the Space Shuttle Columbia 
launches for its first voyage. All of this going on at the same time as this historic Columbus season. And I almost feel like this is something that almost any team could do, especially the historic ones, not for 1981 or whatever, but uh, it would just, it's, it seems like such a repeatable book and fast, you know, like we talk all the time about minor league stories. There being thousands of them out there. There's got to be thousands of possibilities for other teams to do something. Like Abs- this absolutely. And, and uh, obviously it takes a lot of work to pull something like this off, but you know, the history of baseball and minor league baseball is so rich that when you think, wow, you know, you have this pretty deep, thorough, interesting book about 1981 in Columbus. How many other potential books, <laughs> Twitter feeds, information is out there. And it's kind of funny that um, you know one of the most notable minor league baseball books of the last decade or so also covered the 1981 International League, uh, and that was um, Dan Barry's uh, bottom of the 33rd, about the 33-inning game between uh, Pawtucket and Rochester. And I'm looking at that book right now. I have yet to read it, but it's been sitting on my desk as one of my like collection of next books that I need to get to. Yeah, so it's kind of funny. Now there's another book in the 1981 International League subgenre of baseball books, almost Yankees. So if you're a big fan of uh, the 1981 season in the International League, you are definitely covered when <laughs> it comes who to your, be. yeah, when it comes to your summer reading. And in both books, um, I think the strike plays a major role in terms of the prominence of minor league baseball. And you know, in the case of Pawtucket and Rochester, the resumption of that 33 inning game uh, where they played the 33rd inning uh, on a separate day that happened during the strike. So that was like literally the biggest event in the entire American sports world uh, when they played the 33rd inning because there was no Major League Baseball going on. But that's neither here nor there. But uh, check out that book, Bottom of the 33rd, if you're interested. And of course, Almost Yankees. Ben, what else is coming up? Well, what do we got? What do we got? Um, I feel like I had one more story to talk about oh well we have charleston's uh, the the draft night promo um right. from the charleston river dogs one of the things you've been following the process of a, a creation of a promo with charleston that i noticed was starting you get like a lot of national press this week which is pretty cool it did so that happened you know this is a uh, series that started in the wake of the promo seminar which has since been rebranded as the innovator summit an off-season minor league you know industry idea sharing event and in the wake of that you know i embarked upon this series with nate Carrant and the charleston river dogs uh, nate is a promo director um, kind of detailing the evolution of a promo. So it sort of started out, the series started out with him brainstorming, not really able to divulge much, you know, running into problems, changing course. And as the series developed, you know, he said, okay, here's this promo I've been talking about, NBA draft night, and this uh, fourth and final piece in the series, which ran on the site uh, this past Tuesday, uh, details the fact that it actually happened. So they wore the um, unique jerseys with the uh, team logo on the inside of the jersey, like a suit that the prospects wear at a draft night where they open up their suit. Um, they signed. They ended up signing. Um, I believe it was a, signing up 135 people. <coughs> Excuse me, I forgot to hit the cough button. Um, they ended up signing 135 people up for the NBA draft because the parameters of the draft are such that all you have to be is 19 years old and a year out of high school. <laughs> so the Charleston River Dogs sent, um, I think they said they sent 167 applications to the NBA draft office, even though some were children. They kind of knew that these kids weren't eligible. Um, Do you imagine the person opening that envelope at the NBA draft office? Like, what the hell? Yeah, and the River Dogs, Nate and the River Dogs did not get in touch with the NBA. I'd asked him that prior, and he was like, nah, we don't want to get a negative reaction that kind of like puts a damper on this, so we're just going to send it and Please see what don't happens. don't do this. That yeah. really is, so just somebody randomly is going to open that up. 
at the NBA offices and be like, what on earth? What is going on with this? Yeah, so he that doesn't know. Great. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Maybe the NBA's process, though, is if you declare yourself eligible, you have to have some sort of confirmation. That's what Nate is hoping, that this promotion gets a second life uh, once the fans receive responses from the NBA recognizing their draft eligibility. And he was like, you know, that's a cool souvenir, and it is. Like, you know, if you got that, you, you might want to hang that up. Uh, official letter from the NBA say, recognizing you as a draft-eligible prospect. What this will probably do is cause the NBA to uh, tighten up their um, their regulations and the collective bargaining <laughs> agreements so they don't get bombarded every year by a bunch of randos who are like, hey, I'm in the draft now. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if they'd do that already anyways. But. I'm sure this isn't the first time that's been yeah. done. I would imagine it's the first time they got 167 in the mail at once, but you never know. But you can check out that story about the jerseys they wore, about the post-game half-court shooting contest, uh, you know, about signing up all these fans for the draft, and thus ends this four-part series on the evolution of a minor league baseball promo. It's all and up on the site. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and that's about all I got. <laughs> oh, there we go. It's all yeah. up on the site, MILB.com, and the blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. You can keep uh, up with everything uh, that Ben's got coming up on the calendar, road trip-wise and, uh, and elsewhere. And, Ben, um, enjoy the first trip. We'll obviously talk to you before the first trip, but uh, enjoy that first trip when it comes in a couple of weeks. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. And one more bit of housekeeping is – Definitely still check out the blog, but the blog is, um, and we'll have more on this later, kind of being wound down as we transition elsewhere on the site. So those web, uh, my road trip itineraries will, be, for the first time, not be on the blog, but on the uh, Ben's Biz fans page, uh, milb.com slash fans slash Ben's Biz. Still got some more stuff on the blog coming up, but it's kind of uh, on its way out, end of an era, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. So much going on. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, and Sam Dykstra sitting to my left. Wrapping up this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. Before we go, I want to tell you what we're watching on MILB.TV this weekend or week. Sam, take it away. Yeah, so uh, I'm just going to say watch any Buffalo game. Uh, we didn't talk about it earlier in the show, but tonight on Wednesday night, uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. just hit an absolute mammoth blast, uh, sent it at a McQuaid Stadium in Pawtucket. Uh we're only going to get so many moments left out of Vlad Jr., so soak it up all you can. Uh, he's got a three-game series coming up against Scranton Wilkesbury at home in Buffalo. Uh, one game on Friday, uh, the 19th, and then two more on Saturday uh, against Scranton Wilkesbury, and then Sunday is off. So maybe Saturday would, could be a fun day. And uh, as we've said before on the podcast, that lineup is just loaded. I think Bobichet is up to an eight-game hitting streak. You're always going to enjoy it, but. Uh, we really don't know what Vlad Jr. is going to do next, and I mean that in terms of where he's going to be next or what he will do with the Bisons while he's still there. Uh, you know, will he hit one that travels an estimated 500 feet? Will he hit? You know, we saw Rowdy Telez do that in the majors. Uh, will he hit one? You know, into somebody's car? I don't know. Uh, there's only one way to find out, and that's by tuning in this weekend. So. Who knows? Maybe this time next week we're talking about a Vlad Jr. promotion. Hopefully that's the case. We say that every time now with the way he's hitting. But enjoy him while you can. You've got a good three-game set coming up this weekend. Uh, Tyler, what do you got? Yeah, I'm going to the pitching side of the California League. Uh, coming up on Saturday, the sixth-ranked prospect in the San Diego Padres organization takes to the mound. And uh, a whole lot of people have heard of pretty much 
every top pitching prospect in the Padres organization. Uh, Mackenzie Gore, Chris Paddock obviously is up at the major league level. Adrian Morahone has gotten his share of, of discussion. But Luis Patino, I feel like, has kind of flown under the radar so far uh, in his minor league career. Last year, a fantastic season uh, with Class A Fort Wayne. He made 17 starts, a 2.16 ERA. This year, he started with Lake Elsinore through his first two starts. He's at eight innings pitched, 11 strikeouts in those eight innings, 2.25 ERA eight walks as well so he's kind of got a nuclear loose thing going on uh but a really live arm a guy who's got uh, some really really promising stuff uh he has a 65 grade fastball 55 grade curveball 60 grade slider and a 45 grade changeout but that's three plus pitches there um and luis patino takes the mound against inland empire at least scheduled coming up on saturday for the lake elsewhere storm so that will do it for this week's episode of the show before the show he's sam dykstra i'm tyler ron we'll talk to you next week 